Hi, I'm Charlie Warzel, and this is No One Knows Anything, the BuzzFeed News Politics Podcast. We're currently on our summer hiatus, so to speak, and every two weeks we're bringing you a different kind of long-form interview with someone in media or politics that uh, has a really interesting story to tell about this crazy time. Uh, This week, I'm really excited to bring you guys an interview I did with Sleeping Giants, a sort of anonymous online collective of people who are trying to stop advertising with alt-right or bigoted, so to speak, websites like Breitbart. It's a really fascinating interview, and uh, I think it gets into a lot of the sort of online culture wars that are happening. Hope you guys enjoy. Welcome to No One Knows Anything. Hey, thanks, Charlie. Good to be here. So first off, I want you just to sort of explain Sleeping Giants to me in like the length of a Twitter bio. So what are you guys? It's developed over time, but we're a campaign for media responsibility. But, you know, it was really started as, you know, a reaction to bigotry in the media. And so as we've been going along, we've been developing a little bit more, you know, there are issues that come up. And so we're changing with the times, even though the times haven't been that long. You guys are an anonymous collective of concerned individuals, but there is, I would imagine, some sort of glue that holds you guys together in a, in a professional sense. You're anonymous, but can you give me a description without giving yourselves away of who you guys are or maybe how big you are, something to sort of pin you guys down? You know, it started with just a few uh, folks, and we are definitely growing in numbers, not significantly, but enough to just handle stuff. Since it started, it's just ballooned incredibly internationally. And so uh, we now have, I believe, 95,000 just on the Sleeping Giants, the main Sleeping Giants feed. And that's not counting the international feeds. But we now have, uh, I believe it's 18 feeds around the world. So it, it started with EU opened up. And then we've gotten, you know, everything from Great Britain to Sweden to Brazil to, uh, Australia is thinking about coming online soon. So what's been really cool is is that, you know, people are concerned around the world and there's really no glue holding any of us together other than the fact that we're concerned about bigotry in the media predominantly and and media responsibility. So what you guys have really been focusing on, and and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but the focus is campaigns to make sure that companies know that they are advertising on Breitbart through a complicated, what's called a programmatic advertising Correct. system. And then if they're not aware, making them aware and sort of ratcheting up the pressure to get them to drop. We kind of bristle at the idea of pressure. You know, we can't control what everyone says, certainly. It's Twitter, you know, so everyone's going to have their own reactions and bring their own language to the table. But we like to not think of it as pressure. There's one company that hasn't, remove their ads, Amazon, and we've been a little bit more aggressive with them. But most of the time, I would say 98% of the time, companies are delighted that we've gotten in touch and they've explained the issue to us, which we at this point could easily explain to them (laughs) because we know it so well. Yeah, I'm thinking of it as a public service to advertisers that really don't know. And we've made it all about showing them what we do is we take a screenshot of Breitbart articles that are particularly bigoted. Uh, we send them a screenshot of that, which is typically right next to, you know, one of their ads and almost hundred percent of marketers do not want to 
be associated with bigotry. It's just it's going to cut off a lot of their consumer base. So they, they just are really happy about it. And then they move to blacklist the site. In the beginning, we had to do so much education on it, you know, because no one really was aware of the issue. And now it's kind of because it's, we've been around for like nine months now. Now it's kind of like, OK, I know these guys are hitting us up for this reason. And they're much more educated now as to how to remove their ads and what they can do with it. I want to go back and talk a little bit about the the early days of Sleeping Giants because you guys have grown a lot. I'm curious about the origins and what was the spark that led to this because it seems like it's something that takes up a, a good deal of time and energy. Yeah. And then tell me why Breitbart? You know, there's plenty of trolls out in the world and plenty of pro-Trump outlets and blogs publishing misinformation, et cetera. Why them? We went on to Breitbart just to check it out because there was so much talk about it. And there are these articles saying that the Confederate flag proclaims a glorious heritage and that women should just log off if they don't like sexual harassment online. And it was all sort of couched as news, you know, it was on this website. It looked like news. And we just couldn't believe that someone was printing this crap. And so we just <laughs> saw that our first advertiser was a progressive loan company from San Francisco. And we just we were like, oh, why do they have an ad on here? And so we tweeted at the CEO and tweeted at the company. And we heard back like half an hour later. And the CEO was like, wow, I had no idea that was there. Holy shit, I'll get it taken down. And we were like, OK, well, that's that's cool. But we can't believe that you didn't know that it was there. And then we saw another ad come up. And then Warby Parker was another early company. And we tweeted at them. They said, we had no idea. So all of a sudden, we were like, OK, we're standing on the tip of a huge iceberg here, and it's a major problem. And so what we thought was going to be a, a couple-week project turned into like our entire lives. <laughs> so I, I want to talk about that, because this is something that I think a lot of our listeners don't know a ton about. And, and frankly, it's, it's almost intentionally confusing. But yeah. that's the programmatic automated online advertising market. And you are now, this is part of your world, whether you like it or not. If you could maybe explain a little bit how companies can get in a position where they're advertising on sites like Breitbart and they don't know it. The I'll try to describe it to the best of my abilities because as you said, it's intentionally confusing. What used to happen is if you were a company, you would spend money making a creative product and you would spend money to place that either in a newspaper or on the radio or on TV or even online. And you knew where that was going to go. You would buy certain pages online to put your ad on and you knew what date that was going to run, where it was going to be. And then everyone kind of figured out that they could maybe spend a little bit less money, but blow their ads all over the internet. That made a lot of sense for a little while. They can sort of kind of slightly control it as, as far as like, you know, they want to hit a certain target. Um, or they want to be in a certain geographic area, but they really don't know where their brand is going to end up. And context really matters to people. And so what happens is people aren't aware of this programmatic issue. And so they'll see uh, an ad for a company next to an, you know, an article saying that transgender people have a 70% higher rate of HIV, which is not true. And it's really damaging to these companies as, as you know, Google and Facebook and a number of other players place their ads all over the place. So it's an issue. It's a huge issue right now. So how easy is it for these companies to remove sites from their ad rolls? It takes them a total of two minutes. It just depends on how much they know. Like if you're a big company, you call your media agency and say, okay, we don't want to be on the site anymore and it's gone. 
if you are a small business and we we're running into more and more small business because a lot of big businesses have actually removed their ads, but there are a lot of small businesses like local shops and boutiques and gyms. And they, it takes them a little while longer to figure it out because they have to go through their manuals and they've not been really warned about any of this stuff. I mean, maybe in this fine print, but it takes them a little while to figure it out. And so that just shows you that there's not as much transparency as there should be for these companies. Okay, so you guys are, are doing this and you kind of start going after Breitbart. The first time I became aware of Sleeping Giants was through Kellogg's. And you guys, I think, successfully convinced Kellogg's to sever their advertising relationship with these programmatic ads on Breitbart. And then Breitbart, in return, started a hashtag dump Kellogg's campaign in retaliation can you walk me through that? And then I'm curious about sort of the nature of trying to deal with bad faith trolls. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Your when Breitbart went after you, them, that was experience. the dumbest shit ever. You know, I mean, <laughs> for us, like they pretty much sunk their own ship in that way. They literally placed an ad on their front page saying to boycott Kellogg's right under an ad to say advertise on Breitbart. I mean, you, you just that was incredibly stupid. But, you know, my my question f for that is, you know, uh, on one end, it may look odd to the advertisers, but, you know, Breitbart wields influence and it has, you know, a very devoted and loyal readership. And so do you feel conflicted over that in the sense of, you know, in trying to get them to do the right thing in your eyes? it may have actually cost them to some degree with the number of devoted readers. I don't know. How, how does that play out when you see that? I mean, it may have cost them in the short term. We had all these trolls sending pictures of the stock market price that they saw that was collapsing the day after. It is just, you know, it's a big business. They've been around forever. Breitbart has not been around forever. And boycotts of specific companies are really hard to sustain. That's one of the reasons why we haven't really gone there. You know, there have been a lot of successful boycotts online that have done well because they're sustained, but the, you know, outrage-a-thon is always short-lived. And we had people posting pictures of people buying boxes of Kellogg's and dumping them out. I mean, that's, it was really not smart, you know, in our mind. It, it, and they made the decision on their own. All these companies make the decision on their own. We really don't have anything to do with it. We'll send them a tweet and it'll get retweeted a bunch of times, and then they make the call. Kellogg's did that without many tweets, I got to say. They made their own call, and that goes for a lot of the other companies that we've contacted, most of them. You know, they just, they think that they want to be on the right side of history, for one. But on the other hand, there are a lot more people that like inclusion more than they like bigotry, and it's never a, a good brand value to, to be associated with that, we don't think. But they make their own call, so you know, ultimately let the chips fall where they may. They were a trailblazer. And we, when that happened, someone posted a, a shot of someone's whole trunk filled with Kellogg's products. And we just started this hashtag called trunk full of Kellogg's. And I think it was trunk of Kellogg's maybe. And so we had people posting that all over the place and people were actually buying Kellogg's products and then taking them to soup kitchens and the homeless shelters. So we think it turned out well. Ultimately, it was a short-lived boycott. There's a, a Slate article, I believe, from, I think, December when you guys were first starting to get big. And I'll read it. It, it compares you guys to Gamergate trolls, essentially. And, and the, the quote is, 
Yet the two companies share a basic core strategy, targeting advertisers. The only major source of revenue available to most online media is the surest way to bring a site to its knees. Back in 2014, Gamergate trolls went after, famously, Gawker Media, cost them a couple of, of, of big advertisers. That was sort of the Wild West days of trolls trying to inject themselves into, into this online environment. But I'm curious when you get in, when an article like that comes out and you guys are compared in this way, do you ever feel that Sleeping Giants could be looked at as a bully in its own right? Um, well, it depends on what you're bullying. We certainly don't feel like it because we feel like we're sticking up for these groups of people that are being disparaged. We didn't know a lot about Gamergate and quickly found out about it when we started. But, you know, I think the perception is certainly there, and that's something we've had to combat. We've really, really made a concerted effort to tell everyone to, to keep down the noise and to make it as polite as possible. We believe that Breitbart is in a lot of ways bullying Muslims and women and Hispanics and the LGBT community. We feel like we're uh, doing our best to keep the bullying away, you know? And so I guess it's all in your point of view, you know? Like, if you love bigotry, maybe we're, we're bullies. interesting issue because it, it also gets into this fact of being on the internet where you can have the best intentions, but when you get a certain volume of megaphone, you know, you guys have tens of thousands of, of people following you on Twitter, you sort of can't control the movement after a while. You know, the movement becomes greater than, than you. Yeah, I totally agreed. Things can spiral out of control. You have to keep a serious eye on it. You know, we've had people get really heated because it's a pretty heated time. And, and so I think it's the voice you speak with and how you ask people to do things. And, and people generally listen, especially with this. We're an anti-bigotry effort. The last thing that people want to do is start bullying. And we've been able to actually keep things pretty polite and remind people every once in a while why we're doing it. And that helps, you know, ultimately, you know, we're not just going to step away from this thing and let let everyone start just spraying advertisers with all these messages. Like we've got a really distinct voice and point of view. And if you're going to follow us and you're going to be a part of it and we've got some really loyal people on board that believe in what we're doing and they've been able to keep it polite. And what's great now is in the early days, we were doing so much instructing people in a million different ways of how to do this. And it set the tone, but now there have been people that have been on it for eight months and they know how it works. And so it becomes sort of a self-policing community, which is pretty awesome because we don't have to stay up all night anymore. You know, from the beginning, we've had the same voice. We've not been crazy aggressive ever with companies. And I think that helps, you know, I think that that was what was interesting about Breitbart's thing with Kellogg's, like they were crazy aggressive and that tone of voice doesn't work and it doesn't breed any kind of respect. And so, you know, we want to be a, a respected campaign and we can't do that if we get too loud and too crazy. One peculiarity for me, and I've, I've reported a little bit on this, you and I have spoken on, on numerous occasions in, in the past. And one of the things that I've noticed is a lot of these ads in this programmatic online universe are 
targeted specifically and kind of follow people around, meaning, you know, you're not going to see an Amazon ad on Breitbart unless you are on Breitbart and also have been to Amazon or are sort of a, a part of, you know, that ecosystem in some way. So in a yeah, sense... Yeah, that, that's not technically correct with Amazon, but yeah, totally hear what you're saying. For sure, it follows you around. Most ads follow you around. Amazon has specific placements on Breitbart, we think, where the the products that you look at will then follow you around. Mm -hmm. But okay. in general, yeah, that can happen. If you look at a company online, then that ad will follow you. But it still ends up next to these articles, you know, disparaging these groups of yeah, people. No, so. my, my question is just in determining who's being harmed and, and to what extent you're hitting readers that are going to these places already to begin with. So it's not necessarily targeting an innocent bystander is what I'm saying. Is that an accurate representation? Like it, it certainly can still be damaging to the brand, but this has been a, an issue when I've sort of been reporting this, that there is this idea that they're advertising on a really controversial site that a lot of people have real difficulty with. But at the same time, these are also people that are ostensibly already going there because they want to be there for some reason. And I guess I'm curious how you think about that. Well, either way, if, if an ad gets a click, then the site gets money and the company placing the ad gets money. And so to us, you know, it doesn't matter if an ad's following you around. If it ends up on that site in some way, could be anyone then Breitbart gets paid for that. They end up funding themselves from these ads. And so any company could end up there. And we believe that, that at some point that company could end up there. If they've, if they've come there by people that have been following us online, then either way, if that ad gets clicked, they're going to get paid and, and Breitbart gets you know, money. They get funded to keep uh, printing it's this stuff. more about the bottom line than about this idea of you know, necessarily targeting an innocent bystander. Yeah, and for sure, that's been the message from the beginning. People come after us all the time saying, oh, you're anti-free speech. You, you're trying to censor someone else's opinions. They're totally free to print any of this shit that they want. We just don't believe that there should be a business in it, You know that, that they should be making money, especially from companies that don't know that they're even there. This kind of segues nicely into the idea of a lot of the other advertiser boycotts that have been around lately. Um, there's sort of a trend, I would say, and, and maybe that's always been the case, but it feels especially pointed right now in today's political climate. There was the sort of Bill O'Reilly advertiser boycott on Fox News after the sexual harassment allegations against him. There was a sort of post-Seth Rich conspiracy theory Hannity boycott, and then there were a few big advertiser boycotts of Megyn Kelly when it was announced she was going to interview Alex Jones, the conspiracy theorist. And I'm just curious, do you worry that there's this reflex where people sort of immediately try to financially cripple publications, organizations, what have you, that they don't agree with politically? Yeah, it seems to be there's, there is a knee jerk. We sort of depend on either what's there at face value, which is, you know, these articles that are clearly bigoted. And we've really focused on bigotry. And that's been our focus from the beginning, and we're sticking with that for now, and we really think that that's our main focus. But yeah, definitely is happening. For us, we want to do it right. It can't just be a, you know, a rage-a-thon. We just want to, we want to do things the right way, and it takes a, a pretty serious effort for us to like double down and do something else. There's only so much outrage to go around, and so you kind of need to remain focused. And so 
that's what we've been doing. But yeah, for sure, like people are really passionate right now and we think people should have all kinds of opinions and that's great. But, you know, we consider these things one by one. And, and I think that's one of the reasons why we've been successful because we've been focused. And so you can't go after everything or, or you accomplish nothing. And, and so we've been sort of staying in our lane. I'm, I'm curious how often you guys go to Breitbart now. Not just to see other people's ads, but to sort of keep tabs on on what they're doing. You know, I, the the thing yeah. that I'm thinking about is that Breitbart has sort of been at war with itself over the during the Trump presidency, where it's yeah. been you know critical of certain White House figures, critical of Trump at times, and there's reporting to suggest that there's sort of a struggle inside Breitbart where certain people at the top are looking to tack a little closer to the center. Bannon is not there anymore, reportedly. <laughs> and I'm curious how often you guys go and, and do you monitor the site to sort of say, hey, you know, it's kind of changing a little bit. Maybe we step yeah. up the gas. What do you guys do in terms of going there and reading their, their content? Yeah, we go often just to see how things are progressing. Ultimately, the same articles that have been the main offenders since we've started are still on the site. And so that means to us that they still have a vested interest in dividing people and to creating hostile environments for Muslims and immigrants and, and women. And so, you know, among others, we still keep tabs. We still look. We still watch. There are still more articles like this that come up every once in a while. Ultimately, look, they've got a strong group of dedicated readers that like the red meat. They like that kind of stuff. And so to us, they're in kind of an interesting position. Like, do you, do you tack and become more of a news organization that isn't trying to push agendas and bigotry? Or do you stay in that lane? And so they appear to want to continue to do that because a lot of the people who read this are likely reading that, you know, and enjoy those articles. And so they're in a tough spot. How long do you go down this path with Breitbart specifically before you pivot somewhere else? I know we haven't talked about it explicitly, but you know, you're know you one of the white whales of your guys' organization is Amazon, which has notoriously, despite pressure from the inside and, and, and I'd say pretty solid cheerleading from you guys, has not severed any sort of programmatic ad relationship with Breitbart. But you know, how, how long do you go with this? Moving up the line, I think we'd like to see the system change. I mean, Breitbart is more of a symptom of a greater problem, especially in tech. And it's not as interesting to maybe some people on the feed. But ultimately, Breitbart and Google and Facebook and Amazon, to some degree, have been they've been pretty tone deaf when it comes to this kind of stuff. And, and there's a lot of work to do in tech because of the political environment. And um, people aren't as passionate about that. But ultimately, we believe that's the bigger issue, and that's something that we'd like to see change. Um, and hopefully these companies will sort of come around to that. This is arguably a great place to stop, but I did have sort of one more question. You know, you guys are in the digital marketing world. It's a lot harder to get responses as sometimes as journalists who are trying to inquire about these things. But have you had conversations with some of these big companies? Um, no. No. And they've just been... No. No, unfortunately not. Yeah, unfortunately not. They've been very, um, you know, again, they've been pretty silent on all of this stuff. And you can see 
you know, there was that, that thing that came up a couple months back with YouTube, and that's still a thorn in their side, I believe, where ads were showing up on, I think The Guardian had ads come up on an ISIS video. <laughs> that didn't go over that well with The Guardian. And I believe uh, a couple of big ad holding companies, advertising holding companies had said, until you get this fixed, we're out. Ultimately, these, these sites are ubiquitous. They run our daily lives. I mean, we buy our stuff from them. We read news from them. We hear from our friends from them. We email with them. They control a large part of our life, maybe more than the government at this point. And none of us get a say in how anything is done. We just think that they serve a purpose in the society and that they should be a part of the solutions and not continue to be part of the problem. I think that's a great place to leave it. Um, thank you to our anonymous guest here from Sleeping Giants. <laughs> it's weird not to have yeah, a name. Thank you, Charlie. A name. Um, we will continue to watch what you guys do and, uh, and see how things go in the future. But thank you so much for, for coming on and talking. Appreciate it. So that's it for this episode of No One Knows Anything. Just another reminder, we are still on our summer schedule, so we'll be airing episodes every other week uh, with more of these deep dive interviews. And if, perchance, a story breaks that we think deserves some unpacking, we're going to pop back into your podcast feed with a short segment, so keep your eyes out for those. No One Knows Anything is produced by Meg Kramer, Eleanor Kagan, and Alex Laughlin. The show is edited by Catherine Miller. Our music is by Beauty Bill. And you can find us on Twitter at, at Kate Nocera and at C. Warzel. <laughs>